So one of the, uh, y'all know I'm a lectionary preacher. They have the assigned text uh, on a three-year rotation. Uh, the gospel reading, which we will not be uh, reading together, but if you kind of want to put your thumb in the, in the Bible, it's John 11, and I'll be referring to that. And that's the um, resurrection of Lazarus. But for now, I want to turn our attention to Ezekiel. Um, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. And that will be followed by a short reading in Romans. Ezekiel 37, hear the word of the Lord. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. And then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. And if you'll join me in uh, Romans 8, or, or listen as I read Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 11. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies, also through his Spirit that dwells in you. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I would very much like to finish the children's book that Lonnie read. I would very much like to read the gospel reading from John 11 about the raising of Lazarus. I'd very much like to rush and get to Easter. 
but we're not there yet. And that's an important part, yet. We know it's coming, but it's not here yet. And just to um, encapsulate uh, what John 11, and you're welcome to kind of read along, um, but it is after Jesus and his disciples were chased out of Jerusalem, um, they were chased out, they were being uh, threatened to death, and so they took some refuge, and then word got to Jesus, says, the one you love, your friend, Lazarus, has died. Lazarus's uh, sisters are Mary and Martha, and they live in Bethany. Bethany's about two miles away from Jerusalem, really close to danger, really close to the place where um, they almost killed Jesus, almost. And they said, the one whom you love, Lazarus, he is dead. Please come quick. And Jesus was heavy uh, hearted. He wept. This is the one that he loved. This is his friend, Lazarus. Yet he waited two more days before he made the short journey to Bethany, to the home of Mary and Martha. And uh, the sisters, they came to him with great grief. And sometimes out of grief comes anger. Uh, and, and they said, if you were here earlier, if you had come here earlier, he would not have died. There's something you could have done about it. But now you're here, a uh, day late and a dollar short, if you will. It's too late. We have no hope. He's dead and gone. And so Jesus, he, he says, where is he buried? Take me to him. Maybe they thought, maybe he's going to go pay his respects. So they took him to the tomb where Lazarus was laid to rest. And they have a great stone rolled over the door of the tomb. And Jesus stands there and he says, open it. And they declare, they said, I don't know if you want to do that. I mean, I'm being colloquial and, you know, creative license. But they're like, I don't know if you want to do that. He's been in there four days. And in the King James Bible, it says, he stinketh. He is starting to decompose. He, he is dead, long gone way beyond redemption. Why would you want to open the grave? Why would you want to open the door? There's nothing you can do, and it smells bad. He said, roll it away. So he stood there, and he said, Lazarus, come out. And sure enough, Lazarus, he comes out of the grave. Up from the grave, Lazarus arose and walked out on his own two feet. And Jesus said, unbind him. And they unbound him from his uh, funeral linens. And they celebrated. And Jesus reminded Mary and Martha, uh, who, who they believed in the resurrection later. They said, we know the resurrection is coming after we're dead and gone. I know, I know. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come out. This is resurrection and the life. And so we, we hear that gospel story two weeks before Easter as a foretaste and not yet, but here's a little taste, a little preview. This is what is promised to us as Easter people. One day, we will be called out from our graves, and Jesus will say, come on out. Come out. I am the resurrection and the life. And so we hold in tension this future hope of a resurrection that we know is, is coming to us. It's promised to us, a gift but we gotta like live our lives to get it and we have to die to get it and we have to wait to see it. And it's held in tension with, if this is the not yet, 
It's held in tension with a right now. There is a resurrection right now, and that is part of the mystery that we believe in, that, that the kingdom of God is right here, a little taste of it is right here, but it's not quite finished, not yet. And even resurrection, we can get a little taste of it right now, knowing that the fullness of it is not yet. And we can see from the Ezekiel passage the right now. So let me give you a little bit of history about Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel was, was a prophet to uh, the, the people of Israel who half of them-ish, half of them were in Jerusalem, in Israel, but they were living under occupation, which means there was a, a foreign government that had come and suppressed and oppressed the Israel, Israelites and destroyed their temple. And then the other half-ish people were taken to exile and they were uh, taken to Babylon away from their families, their land, their friends, their households, their gardens, their groves that they had for generations. And they believed at the time that God uh, lived in a singular place, that God lived in the temple, in the most holy of holies, and God was not everywhere. Now we know this to be untrue. God is everywhere, Ezekiel uh, tells us uh, to the exiles and to us. But they believed we are so set apart from the temple and from God and our family and our home and everything that we loved, we are hopeless. And God gives this vision to Ezekiel like, like a dream. He says, my people feel that they are cut off. My people feel that they are beyond hope. My people are like this valley of dry bones. And so go with me now to, I imagine God and Ezekiel are standing kind of just, just a little bit up out of the valley and he looks and surveys a great multitude of people who were slain, who were killed. But you can hardly tell that they were people because it's just bones, like a bone graveyard, bones on bones on bones. And it's not, you know, it, it is beyond hope. You know, if, if uh, Lazarus was beyond hope at four days and he stinketh, this valley of dry bones is way beyond hope, right? They are dry, brittle, sun-bleached. What on earth could you possibly do with a pile, a valley of dry bones? And God says to Ezekiel, he said, prophesy, speak to those bones. And so Ezekiel, he prophesies to the bones and the bones start coming together and builds a body and muscles build on it and skin. And don't take this too literally like Hollywood and zombies and stuff. This is a vision, it's a dream. So we see the, these bones collect and they create these human bodies, but they're still lifeless. And you know, God, he looks at Ezekiel and he says, can these bones live? And you can, you can read the scripture, you know, you can add your own in, intonation, but I wonder if Ezekiel's response was, I don't know, you know God, or it was, you know. Can these bones live? You know, Lord. And so God, Yahweh, every time we see in the Bible, capital L-O-R-D, all caps, little secret, that's Yahweh as in the same Yahweh that breathed life into Adam who was just a pile of dust and mud. Yahweh, the breath that uh, breathes uh, life um, into all of creation. Yahweh said, prophesy to the breath 
the same breath that gave life to each of us, prophesy breath into the bones, the valley of dry bones. And sure enough, the multitude who are standing and knitted back together, they have come alive. And this is a prophecy and a vision given to Ezekiel to give to the people of, of Israel, not for a future tomorrow, but for today. The prophecy was Israel who are under occupation, Israel who, who are in exile and are broken and just feel like they are beyond hope. This is for you. God sees hopelessness. God sees that your spirits are like broken bones, like a valley of dry bones, and are beyond all hope and help. You've got to ask yourself, can these bones live? And you look up to God and you say, you know. We know that yes, these bones can live because there is nothing that God looks at and says, you know, I can't do anything with that. He sees chaos in creation and says, I can work with that. He sees dust in this mud pinch pot, you know, Adam and says, I can work with that breathes life into it. He sees each of us who are stumbling and bubbling and, and, and trying to do our best and you know, trying to be good Christians. And he says, I can work with that. And even this valley of dry bones, God looks at and says, I can work with that. And breathes life into it. Now, the, this story is given to the people of that day for a resurrection of that day. And God says, I'm coming. I'm going to bring you back to life, Israel. But what does that look like for us in, in, in Greenville? What does it mean to have resurrection today in addition to the resurrection of tomorrow? My husband um, introduced me to this amazing movie called Awakenings. Uh, it's got Robin Williams in it and Robert De Niro, and it was like 1990. And it's actually based on a book by Oliver Sacks of the same name, Awakenings. And it... It's a story of a uh, neurological researcher, studies the brain, who gets a job as a clinician, a doctor in a psychiatric ward. And he's full of vim and vigor and ideas and energy, and you know, he's ready to be put to work and use his research skills, and they put him in this ward of catatonic uh, patients. And uh, the orderly, he says, oh, this is just the garden ward. You feed them and water them. There's no hope here. And even uh, his coworkers, the doctor's coworkers, are like, oh, you'll learn the way here. You'll calm down. That energy and spirit uh, will get knocked out of you. You'll learn the way. Don't, don't bring a lot of energy here. This is where, uh, you know, it, it comes to die. The garden ward with the catatonics. The, and it was filled with people who had encephalitis. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it was like an extreme case of Parkinson's that made their bodies freeze. And again, this is a true story in the 60s. And the doctor, he notices one woman who uh, doesn't respond to any stimulus. She doesn't respond to her name or anything in front of us, and she's shuffling to a certain direction and stops. This valley of dry bones, this garden ward of catatonics of people who are unresponsive. She's shuffling to a window and stops. And so the doctor, he looks and notices it's that old-fashioned black and white checkerboard tile 
but the pattern had stopped, and so did she. And so he rushes with all his energy, and he gets a marker, and he colors in the rest of the tile. And sure enough, she starts shuffling towards the window. And in that moment, he says, there's, there's something here. There's a little bit of hope. Can these bones live? You know. Can this ward come back to life? I think so. And so he, he does what he does best. He does some research and he, he, he uses this drug called L-Dopa and he gives it to uh, one of the uh, patients in that ward whose name is Leonard. I believe when he was 11 years old, he had a happy, fulfilling childhood, had friends, played with crayons, drew his name, and then all of a sudden he was hit with this disease and for 30 years, he was as if he was asleep pushed around in a wheelchair, put, put in the garden ward to be fed and watered. And he got the mother's permission to use this, this research drug, L-Dopa, on Leonard. Again, true story. And he gave it to Leonard and fell asleep. And suddenly the doctor woke up and realized Leonard was no longer in bed, but he had walked himself to a table and was writing his name. Whereas his hands were frozen in time, his body was frozen in the wheelchair, suddenly he had come back to life. And the researcher, he, he, he got permission and he, and he used that, that drug, the, the L-Dopa, on all of the catatonic encephalitis uh, patients in the ward. And they started coming back to life. They had jazz music playing, the music that they loved before they went to sleep. One woman said, oh goodness, my hair's gone gray. Can you get me a box of dye and some makeup? Because she had been asleep for 30 years and they were dancing and they were playing games and they were reading books and they were alive. The sad part of the story is that eventually the effects of that drug uh, wore off and they could not continue with the clinical trial, but for a moment, that ward of people who were brushed off, who were left uh, to you know, just be watered and fed, they came back to life. And it was because of one man who looked into the valley of dry bones, who looked into this clinical ward and wondered, can these bones live? Can anything good come out of this? And I think of Ezekiel and, and God saying, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, you know, you know, Lord. Now, that is a peculiar and, and rare story, and I encourage you to watch the movie. It's great performance, again, Awakenings. But maybe that still seems a little bit too far. Well, um, there's another time that my husband and I were serving together. He's an uh, ordained minister and um, worked in hospice care for 11 years. And he invited me to um, one of the nursing homes. And on the first floor, we would knock door to door and say, do you want to come to worship? Do you want to come to worship? And some of them had a little touch of dementia or Alzheimer's and they didn't really know where they were going, but they shuffled out, okay. And they would follow us to worship. And I would give them a worship book and you know, we'd sit them down and they didn't know if, you know, are we playing board games today? What activity is this? But we're in the activity room, so what's happening now? And I would hand them the song books and they'd hold them upside down and say, I, I don't know, and give them back to me. And you wonder, can these bones live? Is there any life left in, in this nursing home? And then we would play music. 
I don't have any musical skills. We just played a CD. <laughs> but we played a CD, and it would be those old classic hymns, you know, the old Cokesbury hymns in the garden. I, I, I uh, tell the story. Jesus loves me. And suddenly, the, the residents of the nursing home, they would come alive. And even without their songbooks, they knew every single word and every single note and would sing at the top of their lungs and they would just come to life. And then the service would close and they would come back to themselves and then shuffle back to their rooms. But I shared these two stories of um, Oliver Sacks uh, in his book of the Awakenings and the story of the nursing home because there are real time moments right now in our life when we can experience resurrection, not just the resurrection of tomorrow, but a resurrection for today, right now. And so if you find yourself in a broken relationship or a marriage and you take a look at that relationship and you say, can these bones live? You know. When you're facing uh, a loved one who's battling with addiction and everyone is saying, uh, stop giving them money, don't pay for their rehab, um, they're a lost cause, they're, they're long gone, just walking dead in their addiction. And you look at the Valley of Dry Bones and you say, can these bones live? You know. And even now, Trinity, you know, I got here in 2020, uh, July 2020, we weren't worshiping in person, the buildings were shut down, and I'd walk the halls, and it was just echoes of my footsteps. Not a soul on campus. Can these bones live, God? You know. And even now, look around. Look what you have done through the power of the Holy Spirit, Trinity. Children, visitors, folks from downtown. So God is moving here in a place where in 2017 we wondered, can Trinity, can these bones live? You know. And we're in a moment now where we are wondering, can these bones live? You know. God ordains it and breathes that life, that, that ruah, that holy breath. There is nothing that is too damaged, too broken, too long gone, too dried up, where God says, I can't work with that. God sees our brokenness. God sees our brokenness and says, I can work with that. Four days long gone, not too hard for God. Valley of a multitude of dry bones, not too big for God. And that is a foretaste of the good news that is coming on Easter. We've got to wait for it. I heard a quote, it says, the, the road to resurrection cuts through the graveyard. Today and this week, I want us to consider the graveyard, the places where we have experienced and have seen the valley of the dry bones and ask God, can these bones live? And may in our hearts we know, you know, Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we are grateful that you are so big, so powerful and so full of love and hope for us, your children in this world, that there is no pile of dust, no sinner too far gone, no valley of dry bones that can defeat you. 
Lord God, when we feel like we are beyond hope, when we feel that we are cut off like your people Israel, let us cast our eyes upon you and, and ask, can these bones live and know in our hearts by your breath and by your spirit, we may. And all God's children said, amen.